You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Show. I hope these talks give you a little bit of inspiration to keep practicing and make your world a better place. Yoga is more than just a physical practice. It's a lifelong spiritual journey, and we constantly need sustenance to help us stay on the path. So I hope you find that sustenance right here. And I look forward to seeing you on the mat. Very good. You are welcome to stretch out your arms and legs. And you're welcome to lie down as well, particularly if you have held the posture for the whole time. I am sorry, I forgot to tell you, you could relax today when we began the meta practice. But uh, hopefully you've been sitting with me long enough to know that that's an appropriate time to switch your posture, if you like. I'm sorry about that. I meant to uh, say that. So we did a different type of meta practice today, more focused on the aspect of creative visualization. And I uh, hope that went well for you. Sometimes we need to give ourselves so much time and space to really go into healing before we can really think about offering that to others. Otherwise, you know, we get a little too, I don't know, it almost feels sometimes when we're not filled up ourselves, then we try to give towards others and we give from an empty cup. At the same time, one of the best things that sometimes when you're plagued by a lot of problems and these sorts of things, that's one of the best things you can do is to focus on something outside of yourself. So it's a little bit of, uh, you have to have many tools in your toolbox on the spiritual path because you don't know which one is going to work for which job, you know? Any builder will know that they need many tools to accomplish the job of any task at hand. And if you only have one tool in your toolbox, then it's a very limited uh, result that you'll get. If you only have a hammer, you don't have any tools besides a hammer, then to construct something will be very, very difficult. So in this way, I intend to give you many different tools, particularly in the most creative aspects of the meditation practice, which is the practice of metta. And it's very important to think about cultivating a different state of mind on all of the work that we do in the Anapanasati and in any sort of mindfulness training has a couple of kind of step-by-step analysis to think about or step-by-step intention. First, when you practice mindfulness, the first tool is always focus, mental focus, right? Anapanasati focus the mind. What do you focus the mind on? We need what's called an anchor, some place to rest the mind on. Without the anchor, then we focus on the old patterns and the old thoughts. So we need, first of all, the anchor to rest the mind upon. So in the Anapanasati, one of the main things that we're trying to do is engage in the tool of self-observation. And in the tool of self-observation, We have to cultivate what's called the attitude of equanimity and neutrality. 
So here's what's interesting about the tool of self-observation. When we observe reality, when you observe your breath or anything else, then it's very easy to not see clearly. In the tool of self-observation, we have to have a disciplined mind, a focused mind, and also a clear mind. So this tool of mindfulness, or the tool of anapanasati, uh, we make a distinction between two states, which I wanted to talk with you about before we get into any questions about today's uh, practice. So the two states that the Anapanasati is particularly dealing with is the distinction or the dichotomy between the state of judgment and the state of discernment. And so what is the difference between judgment and discernment? Well, Judgment has a little bit of the tinges of our old past reaction patterns. And when we act in judgment, there will almost always be some emotionality attached to it. And it's the tinge and the weight of our emotional reactions that create this kind of judgmental quality of mind. When the mind is in this state of judging, we think we're seeing clearly, and there may yet be some kernels of truth in what we see. And so this is why judgment is quite difficult to distinguish between what we're actually after in the practice of mindfulness. When we have the judgmental quality of mind, it is not that the mind is not seeing what is there. It's that the, the, the kernel of truthfulness is tinged or colored with what's called the past samskaras or the past reaction patterns. And it is that emotionality and that reactivity which gives the judgment the kind of sticky quality to it. And so sometimes when we're going into our, you know, anapanasati, the judgmental quality of the mind gets very, very activated, myself included. And this can come from all sorts of things. Suddenly, you expect yourself to breathe in a particular way, you know, and when you're not breathing in that particular way, the mind begins to not only observe that because the observation is true, you know, the observation is there, the observation says, you know, I'm not breathing as I normally am, then the judgmental quality of that starts to have some reaction to that. Oh, I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? Oh, I'm reacting. Why am I reacting? Oh, this is bad in some way. And then, and then instead of just re remaining clear and just observing, breath is shallow. Then immediately, why is the breath shallow? Have I done something? I must have done something. It's because I've thought negative thoughts about this person right before I started this sitting. That must be why. Oh, it's because I ate too much right before the meditation. I'm not breathing properly. My digestion is off. I wonder if I've eaten something I'm allergic to. And then we have all this, this, this we're judging. Even these are light judgments, you know? So what is the opposite state? What is the state of mindfulness? If we are not to judge, right? What are we to do? Self-observation is to cultivate the state of mind, which is called discernment. We call this wisdom. And so in the language of the Buddha, the Buddha referred to this as panya or wisdom. In the teaching of yoga, we refer to this as viveka, right? Viveka, wisdom. So discernment is, 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 contains the notion that we are seeing reality clearly, absolutely clearly, which means without the goggles 
of our old behavioral patterns, our old samskaras, we could say. Now, discernment is very, very interesting because it is clear sight, that same kernel of truth that exists within the realm of judgment is the same, the very same kernel of truth which exists within the realm of discernment. However, the difference between judgment and discernment, it is as though someone placed, if you could put the kernel of truthfulness in a bubble, and then inside that bubble, the sphere of judgment is filled with the water of emotionality and the water of reactivity. And then the kernel of truth is swimming in there. It's true. It's real. But it's so occluded by all the other faculties that are swimming around it that it's a mix, it's mixed up in a big, uh, you know, pool of different reactions and past experiences. When we transition to discernment, it's as though the plug has been pulled on this bubble of emotionality and reactivity and all the emotionality and reactivity is just draining, draining, draining out of the bubble. Everything is gone except the kernel of truth. Then the kernel of truth exists alone and then you can see it clearly. Mm -hmm. So in this stage between judgment and discernment, wow, this is something quite intense, you know, because you can scratch your head and think, oh, so even in judgment, there's a kernel of truth. That in and of itself is very useful to hear because sometimes we think, oh, I'm being so judgmental. Even the judgment, oh, there's some reason, there's something I'm seeing. There's some wisdom contained within that. So the technique of mindfulness is not to deny the truth seeing ability within the field of your you know, being. And nor is it to ignore that, but it is to remove all of these other occlusions, all of this tinge of emotionality, this tinge of past patterns and reactivity, so that that kernel of truth can just be seen in the words of the Buddha, yata bhuta, as it is. So you can see it clearly, rather than having it be occluded with all this other stuff. Now in the life application of this, now we go into treacherous territory. All right. We go into very treacherous territory because, yes, you're here. You can work with your mind and you can work with your body and you can feel, you know, sensations here and try to observe the nature of mind and practice the difference between judgment and, you know, discernment and figure out, am I being equanimous right now? And sometimes we even judge the level of our equanimity. We can do a whole mess inside of our own mind, but at least we're only messing with ourselves, you know? Now we get into treacherous territory. You stand up from the meditation cushion. You get off of your yoga mat. And now you start having to interact with all these other beings. Oh, all these beings. Oh, there's a being here, a being there. Even plants are beings. You can have reactions to them, you know, animal beings. And then let's not forget all the billions of human beings with all their thoughts and all their things that they're talking about all the time that they're talking about and sharing about here or there. You can read something, interact with someone, beings, you know, beings, you don't know, beings, you once knew beings, you think about, but don't know imaginary beings, all these beings. Oh my goodness. This is treacherous territory because moment by moment, all you have to do for one moment, interact with someone. And then immediately, ah, you're reacting. And now you have to think about, Am I operating from judgment or am I operating from discernment? And now we understand why meditators go and run away to caves 
because at least in the cave, there are very few beings. Oh, you can look at the ant. Oh, hello, my friend, the ant. Am I being judgmental of you or am I just being, am I observing the true nature of your being? At least it's an ant, doesn't talk back to you. Then you have to interact. Oh no, family, close, close beings who you have lots of, lots of old things floating around in the pool of your relationship. Oh, sometimes beings like this, you can just look at them and immediately the pool is swimming around. And then to think, oh, I must be discerning in this moment. So I used to have many more words to say, and I still can't have many words to say these days. But I like to think about that I never felt I knew more about the world or about myself. Now, when I first started the yoga practice and the spiritual journey many, many years ago, at that point, I had many opinions, a lot of them very strong. And now I feel in this space between judgment and discernment that I am not sure anymore. I'm reminded by a classic, uh, a classic uh, Zen story. I think it comes from the Zen Buddhist tradition. Um, and this is the, uh, the teaching of what's called maybe so, you know, maybe so, maybe so. And so here's the story. You may have heard this story before. Hmm. There is a man who is a farmer and this farmer hmm, sends uh, his son out on a horse and the son loses the horse and comes back and says, uh, dear father, I've lost the horse. This was the only prized possession of this poor you know, farmer out in the countryside. I'm only at one horse. The son has lost the horse. All the neighbors came up to him and said, oh, what a great loss. You've lost your horse. How will you, you know, this was your working animal. How will you, I'm so sorry for you. What a great loss. And the farmer being a meditator says, oh, maybe so, maybe so, maybe so. And doesn't react. And the neighbors go, oh, it's crazy, man. He's lost his horse. He's going to lose the whole farm next. And they go away. Oh, we will buy the farm from him in a year. Then three days later, the horse has returned, bringing with it three more horses. Then the neighbors come back. What a blessing. Your horse has returned with three more horses. Now you're a rich man. Maybe we can buy one of these horses from you. The farmer, he says, oh, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe so. Then... The son says, I'm going to train these three horses, father. I will train them and then we can ride them and we'll have a whole, you know, group of horses that we can go around. Hmm. Son, what can I do? You're going to go on the horse, go on. He starts training the horses, training the horses. Then the wild horse has taken the son for a ride and threw his son off of the horse. And now the son has a broken leg, hobbles back to the father. Oh, this wild horse has broken my leg. And then the neighbors comes, oh, your son has broken the leg. Now you have no one to help you in the field. Oh, poor man, you, poor man. Oh, and they're reacting, reacting. And the farmer says, oh, maybe so, maybe so, maybe so, maybe so. Goes back inside. And then the neighbors say, this is a crazy man. Now he's going to have to hire help and sell off these horses with such a gift. Oh, what are you saying? Maybe so, crazy man. Then some few days later, some notice comes from the capital of the country. Now the country is at war. We must conscript all young men from the ages of 18 to 50 must go into the conscript into the war unless 
you have some physical malady preventing you to go into the war. So they come and knock on the door and say, oh, we take your son. Oh, the son is lame. He has a broken leg. He cannot fight in the battle. Oh, okay, we cannot take this. And they've taken the sons of all the other farmers nearby. And then they come and say, oh, you're such a lucky man. Now your son is safe from harm. We will lose all of our sons in the war. And the farmer, he says, oh, maybe so, maybe so, maybe so. So this is the teaching of maybe so, right? And this is a traditional Zen story. We cannot know what is our discernment and what is our judgment. Judgment is there. When are we discerning? We don't know. So uh, Luna says, where can I find the Zen story? I'm not really sure. I have heard this um, in many, uh, many places uh, before. This is a quite a common sort of one of these like parable stories that you can find. I can see if I can look and see exactly where it is from, but I've just heard this from a teacher of mine, just, you know, from the verbal situation. So Maya, hi Maya. Maya says, I hate Metta. All right. So what should you do? Am I just not ready? Do I need to do more Sati instead? So what they say, if you hate Metta, then it's very difficult to practice metta if you hate it. You know, you think, oh, I hate this. So we want to try to have many different types of metta that you can draw upon. And a very easy type of metta um, is to get up from the meditation completely. Just leave the meditation. Change your position and try to either interact with a being that you love or look at the images of something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Uh-huh. So for me, I very much like Labrador puppies. So if I'm ever sad, my husband has found a YouTube channel that can make me happy within a matter of seconds. And the YouTube channel is called Life with Labradors. And they have videos on the YouTube channel, such as this uh, litter of Labrador puppies shall get its first bath now. And it takes like one hour and then they give all like 10 Labrador puppies the bath. And it makes me very happy. So if um so this is what we say in the if meta practice is difficult we must do something however ridiculous it is that brings us some joy and then in the act of experiencing that joy then you begin to practice metta. So if you love oranges, this is also another silly example, but can really be useful. When you finish your meditation, then if you love oranges, you get up, start to cut up an orange or or peel an orange, and then you do. Uh, you do a blessing to the orange. Oh, thank you, orange. I really love this orange. I love this orange. I'm so grateful for this orange. I really hope I get lots of oranges just like this in the future. I want so many oranges. Let all oranges be so juicy and ripe just like this orange. And like that, we're doing orange meta. And if you like Labrador puppies and you watch the Labrador YouTube channel and you say, oh, so cute Labrador puppies. Oh, all the Labrador puppies. May they all be happy. Oh, such a cute Labrador puppy. I hope this one puppy has a good, happy life. And then you can even just wish good vibration to that one puppy that you see. You think, oh, that puppy is very nice. Don't like puppies, no problem. You like a tree. Go to that tree and appreciate the leaves of the tree. And then you can just, you can just send a blessing to that tree. Oh, this tree, I hope you grow big and strong tree. Oh, wonderful tree. I hope you make many fruits, these sorts of things. So in that way, you leave the meditation, get up and go and do specific metta to some actual thing that you enjoy. And then you just focus on that one thing and don't try to give it to other beings at that moment. You can just do to that one being. Just that one being is enough. Not even yourself, just that one being, just this one orange. I love this orange so much. It's so juicy, such a wonderful orange. So, so grateful. So you can just really just go into that space. Do that for a little bit. 
And then that's a good, that's a good grounded, real meta. Because sometimes the creative visualization can can just be too difficult, too hard to focus on. Mm -hmm. So let's see some of the other questions. Uh, Raduka says, Dear Kino, thank you. When I stay more than 15 minutes, it my, my it numbs my right leg. And I stay there and then I feel panic and anxiety. I feel something about control and a lot of fear. What should I do? Okay, Raluca, so this is very, very common. So very, very good that you were able to stay for 15 minutes. That's already quite long. Some people, they get the numbness after just five minutes or even after one minute. So great, you were able to stay 15 minutes. Fantastic. Now, since this is a pattern for you, now you know it's coming. So you want to really get comfortable with the idea that, okay, around 15 minutes, my leg goes numb. It's a great, it's a great sort of reference for time. Oh, there's my leg numb. Probably been about 15 minutes. Okay, wonderful. Now I'm at the 15 minute mark. Okay, here's when my panic and anxiety normally kick in. Now you have to cultivate the, the, the mindfulness is not always serious. Yes. So, so you can cultivate a little bit of curiosity about panic and anxiety, which is kind of sort of unreal, you know, and panic and anxiety feels very real and very heavy and very serious. So then while you're there in the state of mindfulness, you can become curious. I wonder how my panic will be today. I wonder what form the anxiety will take. Will it start with shortness of breath or will I feel a constriction around my throat today? Oh, I'm looking for it. I'm waiting for the physical experiences of anxiety. Oh, anxiety, my friend, where are you? Where are you, anxiety? I'm waiting for you. I expect you to come around this time. And I usually what happens is if you're in that state, then you're there looking for it and it doesn't come. You're there looking for it, looking for you. My anxiety, where are you? I'm looking for you. Not there. Because now you're this, this is gone. Because now you're in a different state. So if you can do that, that's wonderful. If anyhow it arrives and you feel panic, anxiety, recognize, look, you're your own master. If it gets too much, move your leg. If it's overwhelming, too much, move your leg. With a conscious decision, now I'm starting to, my mind is starting to be so imbalanced so I can no longer be mindful of feeling overwhelmed. I'm going to move my leg. I'm going to move it once to a different position. You do that. Then try to hold that other position. That being said, eventually everybody it feels some sort of panic, anxiety, fear, and meditation. We fear numerous things. So sooner or later, you're going to get strong enough to face that. And when you're strong enough to face that, it's not with the, the tight white knuckle grip that works with it, but it's instead with kind of an, an, open, an, an open state of mindfulness where you're, where you're observing, you're curious, it's spontaneously sort of um, arising without, the, without the, um, sort of the weight of the emotionality. So, so, so recognize that it's not bad. And then the last thing that I would say to you is that that very seed of anxiety, panic, and fear, and, and, even, and even about control or the lack of control, you could say, the fact that that is arising is a sign, you know, from, you know, either yourself, your higher self within, or if you have a relationship with God, you could say it's God sort of saying to you, hey, you're ready to face this now. So it's quite good in some weird twisted sense that it has arisen because now you get a chance. Oh, now I'm going to work with this. This seed of anxiety, panic, control, and fear was within me sleeping there only to rear up its head in moments of difficulty. But now it's here. Fantastic. Wonderful. Fantastic. Wonderful. Okay. I get to work with this. So if you can recognize that it's not bad, that actually it's a wonderful opportunity to use this as a another foundation to work with, then it's a wonderful, this actually can be quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. I know it's not really great news, 
But uh, you know what they say is that the only way out from those states of being is through. So you keep going, keep working. Let's see what other questions are there. Guru has a very long question, so I'm going to read this right now. Uh, thank you for the meditation practices. Wonderful. I started the meditation challenge in January and repeated in February. Wonderful. You took the step into 20 minutes of meditation in March. Fantastic. Congratulations. The first week was easy, but then I started to associate negative thoughts and emotions towards the longer sit. Then you found the meditation for manifesting. Wonderful. Oh, so you're just sharing this. Great. And so after some time, we try to sit alone for 20 minutes, but I'm happy you found the videos. Great for sharing that. So first of all, it's a very difficult to sit for long periods of silence on your own, which is why I share so many of the guided meditations. And as we sit together, I'm interspersing silence with instruction. And this gives you a good opportunity to sort of go back and forth between silence and instruction, silence and instruction. It's very, very difficult to sit in total silence alone without the support of either a teacher, a community, or some instruction. So it's very, very difficult. And those um, sort of negative emotions that bubble up to the surface are why? Because it's so, so difficult to face all of that without some support. And so this is why we say traditionally that the, you know, that success along the practice of the spiritual journey comes from, um, comes from the combination of the sangha, the community, the teacher, uh, what the teacher puts in, the student, what the student puts in, and also just the passage of time. So, you know, three months into your meditation journey, it's still quite difficult. So the fact that you're even able to do 20 minutes assisted, you know, with a, with a guided meditation is, is quite, quite an accomplishment. So many people after five minutes, you know, what are you going to do? Turn the video off, get up and go do something else. You know, suddenly they open their eyes and they think, oh, there's so much to do around the house or they, you know, and, and you can, you know, you, it, it, it is also possible to, particularly with some of the some of the guided meditations that I share, so you can also put them on, you know, like while you're driving or doing the laundry and going around the house, it creates kind of like a good background buzz for, you know, the mental chatter. But the, so it's was very, very difficult without the, you know, without the, without the support of the community and the teacher and all of that. So, so good on you that you found this. Mm -hmm. So mm, this is the same question that Melody had. So Mel had the same question. As I said, it's very, very difficult to practice alone. You start sitting alone and then you just sit there and then it's like 20 seconds goes by and you look down and you're like, oh, look, it's been 20 seconds. Hmm, fantastic. Oh, look, it's been a 45 seconds now. Let me close my eyes and go back to the breath. Probably five minutes has been by. Oh, look, it's been one minute and a 15 seconds now. So sometimes it's extremely difficult. It is difficult. I feel it too. And I mostly sit alone you know, without the support of the community. And it's a, it's very, very difficult to just be there. So I, I try to join uh, the style of meditation that I do is called, is, is called Vipassana. And whenever there's any sort of a group sit for Vipassana that I can do, I really, really try to join because it helps me too. Mm -hmm. So uh, I one of the basic reasons why it's easier when you have someone uh, guiding you is because uh, just like it's easier to have a personal trainer than it is to go to the gym and figure out what to do with all those crazy looking machines. You know, you have somebody guiding you. It's just it's the same reason that it's easier to follow the map 
than it is to plop yourself down in a new city and go, well, let me figure it out. I kind of think that, you know, North is there because the sun is here and this is, you know, North, South, East, West. So let me see if I can find my hotel, you know, the same, for the same reason, it's easier to have a, to follow a map, to have a trainer in any type, because we're working with retraining some part of ourselves. And whenever we're working at, you know, training or following directions, it's, it's just, it's a little bit easier to have assistance along, along the journey until you're so established that the meditation practice is like second nature. And this takes 20, 30 years of practice at that point. Yes, it's okay to practice alone, but even then, it's, it's the support of the community is so beneficial, so beneficial. Just like even, you know, a city like the back of your hand, sometimes, it, you know, you get lost even there too. Some new building has gone up, they reroute the traffic and suddenly you don't know which way to go. Mm -hmm. So now we have someone that says that they really enjoy the creative visualization for the meta. And they said, I find the creative visualization in meta has really shifted the landscape for me. Any tips on doing that on your own without a guided meditation? Mm -hmm. So first of all, to do any sort of creative visualization, any sort of meta, now there are two things that you need. First of all, you need to do a little bit of Anapanasati, even two minutes Anapanasati. But if you immediately close your eyes and start trying to visualize this and visualize that, then you're bringing the imbalanced mind that we have in our daily life into the space of the inner body and the space of like the nebulous zone of the spirit. And then unfortunately, we can so easily go deeper into our bad patterns in that space. You have to do little Anapanasati. It helps your, your mind move from the beta frequency to the alpha frequency. And then when that happens, uh, you, can, you can just do so much better work and create a visualization. Second, you wanna know where you're going before you start. So you don't wanna finish Anapanasati and then do one of these, I need to do meta now. What sort of meta am I gonna do today? Uh, should I think about the Labradors? Or shall I try to think about the trees? Now, I'm not sure. Maybe the Labradors, uh, but, you know, I really want a puppy. And my husband says they cannot have the puppy. Then you go, then you're lost. Because then now you're not doing meta. And you have, to, you have to make a plan before you start. Today, I'm going to do the creative visualization where I go into the heart chamber and I sit in the healing chair. Good. Close my eyes. Anapanasati. Here I go. Inflowing breath, outgoing breath. Some two, few minutes. When my mind comes down, okay, now I start. So you have to put yourself on the program. And this is why, again, Doing it on yourself, doing it by yourself is very difficult because it's difficult to put yourself on that program, right? But have some, have some idea of where you're going before you start. That will help you. The other thing, of course, is just do so much guided meta so that you really, you really have many different, as I mentioned before, tools in your toolbox of meta. That will really, really help you. Mm -hmm. So now we have a question. Uh, Maya has another question about uh, swallowing. So this is actually a good, a good question. Many students have this. Many good students. So I can tell from the question that you're really putting your effort in. So, uh, so the question is, does swallowing count as bad fidgeting? And are there things that you can do in order to prevent the accumulation of saliva and swallowing? I have so many students ask me this question that it seems... You know, so don't, don't, there's so many students that ask this question. And I noticed that the students who ask this question, they are trying very, very hard to follow the technique. So good on you. You know, you're very, in this very, you're trying very hard to follow the technique. You tell me I don't move. I don't move no matter what happens. Then you feel this accumulation of saliva and then you think I need to swallow. But if I swallow, I have moved. What shall I do? You know, and then we get stuck in that for a little bit. So then we say, Try to let it just happen naturally so that at some moment 
swallow. But if you notice yourself swallowing repeatedly, you know, like multiple times each minute, then you know, then you'll notice, oh, now I'm doing this as some sort of a reaction. But if you notice, oh, there's just some accumulation of saliva that's coming. And when it starts to get on, it starts to be, you know, an impediment to being able to sit comfortably, definitely before drool starts coming out of the mouth, swallow, right? I have had one student, and this is a little, this is quite a funny, quite a funny story and a, a, a nice little anecdote that I had a student who said that she really enjoys uh, doing uh, guided meditations uh, and group sits uh, after the COVID days because she puts the mask on and then she says, now I just don't swallow and I don't care if the saliva is coming out of my mouth because I have a mask on and nobody can see me. So this is fantastic. I just let it all flow out. This is what she does. I said, oh, this, you, know, you can also swallow with the mask on. It's okay. But she really is. Now I really don't move and it's better for me. Okay, fine. That's your path. Go for it. But traditionally we say that when anything gets to be too much like this, you can swallow. Also, as I said, if it's too much physical pain, again, you can move. Um, the other thing that comes up sometimes is sneezing or coughing. And sneezing is interesting because, you know, very often we have the feeling of sneezing, but we don't sneeze. And this is an exquisite thing to feel in terms of sensations. So if you feel the sneezing coming at some moment, if you the sneeze is happening, let it sneeze. If the sneeze is not happening, then you just observe the sensations. If you notice the feeling of coughing, then you can also observe the, the tickle in your throat and just observe, oh, at some moment, maybe I will cough. And then cough happens. The idea that the physical body can go through its motions without your conscious direction or activation is something very interesting. So when a sneeze happens through you, when a swallow happens through you, when the body is taking care of itself and you're just observing, oh, this is something interesting to observe because now you start to have faith in the natural intelligence of the body. Oh, the body can sort itself out. Oh, look, the body's caring for itself. Look, I am not coughing, but the body has coughed. Huh, isn't that interesting? Look, I did not swallow, but the body has, has a, a, you know, swallowed by itself. The swallowing mechanism has happened. Wonderful. Then you also can observe, oh, I am not breathing, but breathing is happening through this vehicle of body. Oh, interesting. Now we start to do some very interesting work about the quality of observation. Mm -hmm. So everything is a, an anchor for a deeper dive into the, um, you know, into the practice of meditation. Mm -hmm. So Luna has an interesting question. Sometimes, even though I'm really enjoying meditation, I feel bad uh, because I am not so ready for my household chores with kids at home and uh, I'm not so organized. Do you have any advice? Well, this is difficult to organize the life situation. So ideally, however, the more that you move into the practice of meditation, the more energy that you'll have for being really, really efficient in any sort of life situation. So you'll do the chores really, really efficiently. You'll be more present with the, you know, your, your family. And so in this way, any moments of meditation, even five minutes, can are said to have an immediate impact in the quality of how we show up. So we understand oh, I'm taking this time for myself, and even though it feels very selfish, when I come out, I'm going to be, I'm going to be able to give so much. I'll be so much more effective. I'll be so kind, so forgiving, so peaceful. So that after a while, if you miss a few days of meditation, my family will go and put me on the meditation cushion. My family will unroll my yoga mat. My kids will say, mom, 
please, you haven't done yoga in a few days. It's time for you to do yoga, mom. Even I'll do it with you. Just please do your yoga practice already. Oh, please also meditate a little bit. You need to do both every day. I, I will even sweep for you if you just go and do yoga right now, you know, and then you'll really think, oh, this yoga stuff, this spiritual practice. It's really working. Fantastic. <laughs> so Kylie says, I often meditate lying down. Is this okay? If you have a lot of pain or if you have any, um, if you have a lot of pain, any other thing that's coming up like this, especially pain, physical pain, um, then you can lie down. Uh, without the physical pain or some other, uh, you know, condition that would require uh, you to lie down, then it's definitely recommended a little bit better to do your meditation practice in a seated position. And then try to make your seated position comfortable, as comfortable as possible. So let's see. Uh, also, Louise has a question about the Vipassana retreats. Are there any of the meditations guided or is it all self-guided? If you join the 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat, which I would encourage really everyone to do, then uh, they're, they're guided from the very beginning. And over the 10 days, then, they, then you get more and more silence, more and more silence. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, it's very much guided. You have a lot of support from the teachers, a lot of support from the community. You do have to take the vow of noble silence to enter the 10-day meditation retreat. Some people go, oh, this sounds so awful. What am I going to do? Maybe I'm going to bring a book. Oh, no, noble silence. No reading either. No writing either. Just total silence. So then we think, oh, my goodness. It's wonderful to, to go and really go on with a retreat like this. So I can really only encourage everyone. And suddenly in the first three days, everybody hates it. Uh, except for some few people, they like it right from the beginning. Most people hate the first three days. Three days, why have I done this to myself? This is horrible, horrible, horrible. Then something shifts, the ego falls away. And then you don't ever want to leave. Oh, please let me stay forever in this meditation retreat center. Can I volunteer to take care of the center? Can I do this? Can I do that? You know? And it uh, can be really, really wonderful. So I really just encourage everyone. They're totally donation-based. So totally 100% donation-based. Which means I won't accept any donation from you until you have to completed the 10-day course. Then you complete the 10-day course, and then they say, you know, did, uh, did you enjoy it? If you enjoyed it, then you can, uh, you can practice, or you can uh, give uh, some, some what's called dana. I'll type in, and I'll also say it's a... The website for um, the website for the meditation of vipassana, which they have all over the world, is dhamma d h a m m a dot org dhamma, which is the Pali word for dharma dhamma my d h a m m a dot org. So I can really only encourage everyone to check this out if you're if you're very very interested. Mm -hmm. Good, good. So. I hope everybody has had a nice uh, meditation and enjoyed this talk in Q&A. So we will uh, be closing up the session. I'm just checking through to see if there are any other uh, questions that are available or here that I've missed. So thank you so much for joining everyone. I really enjoy these sits and these times that I spend with you. And I really enjoy the support of the community as well. I uh, get a lot out of sharing this uh, time with you. So please keep practicing and share the journey with everyone and just keep practicing. And I will look forward to seeing you next week at one o'clock 
for the group sits and also on Wednesdays for our yoga drills. And I'll see you then. If you're joining the Ashtanga challenge that I'm hosting this month, then I look forward to seeing you for that as well. But more than anything, please everyone just keep practicing, do a little bit of sitting, a little bit of meditation every day. And this will really help uh, make the world just a happier and more peaceful place. Send you a lot of love, everyone. See you real soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Yoga Inspiration Show. It's always a pleasure to share the inner space of the yoga journey with you. Remember, you can always find me online at omstars.com, www.omstars.com, and on my YouTube channel and all social media at Kino Yoga. I look forward to seeing you on the mat. And more than anything, I hope you take the inspiration to practice yoga and make your world a better place. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.